Well, we're coming to you this week from a rather unique location. We are at the at the far end, <laughs> the, the worst seat in the house at the Virginia Theater. Which still uh, isn't that bad. It's not that bad at all. Yeah, we're just sitting here, and boy, you can just still see everything. And that's one of the wonders of those old theaters, the way they... They lay them out and, and worry about sight lines and, and things. They, they, they don't do and that acoustics. much anymore. And acoustics. Yeah, incredible here. But we're here for Ebert Fest, of course, back after many delays, right. almost two years. Right. Uh, Chaz Ebert had us in to do a Q&A today for the film uh, The Phantom of the Open, a true story that we'll talk about uh, maybe next week or so when it a actually after, yeah. opens up in theaters. But right. they, uh, there was like a sneak preview of that film before the public saw it. The people who came to Eberfest this morning uh, got a look at it, and we were fortunate enough to have a Q&A with uh, Michael Barker, who's one of the presidents, one of the founders of Sony Pictures Classics, who, is, uh, who acquired the film, helped produce it, and uh, he had a lot of great stories, a lot of great insights. He insight. did, didn't he? It was wonderful to hear about what inspires him, what inspired him when he was a child and still does. Yes, yeah, um, that was fun. I, yeah, I encourage everyone to take a look. I'm guessing they're going to have on ebertfest.com. Mm -hmm. um, all of the interviews will be available. Correct. And when we get them, we will post them as well. Interesting perspective about film, film industry, and where things are going as well as where they've been. And, you know, you and I have had this problem where you get an interview when it becomes awkward it doesn't work but you love the ones where it becomes a conversation and that's what this was right. and, and and yeah i like i like how you point out it wasn't just about this film the phantom of the open but he talks about what sony is doing as i mean this landscape the cinematic landscape as far as distribution has changed so radically in the mm -hmm. last 10 years yeah and how they're they're coping with that right so we've got, um, besides Ebert Fest going on, and if you mm -hmm. haven't gotten your tickets, by the time this podcast is broadcast, there will be one more day left. So <laughs> it won't be too late to get tickets. So I'm not sure what's playing on Saturday, but you can go to ebertfest.com and find well, out. Well, they're ending with a bang. Guillermo <gasps> del Toro will be here at 8.30 Saturday night with uh, Kim Newman, his new partner. They both did the script for Nightmare Alley, and that's what they will be showing, and they'll be showing it in 35 millimeter in black and white really black and white right he uh he he, he unveiled a version uh in black and white as well that played in certain theaters uh, huh. also interesting. i don't know if it was to goose the box office or what uh but it'll be interesting to hear him talk about how that makes a difference as far as the tone and feel of the movie will you be here i'm going to try to be okay and okay. if i am i will record stuff and try and corner him and ask him a couple of questions we were fortunate enough to talk to him in hollywood there a few weeks ago right just the nicest guy yeah isn't he though he's super down to and earth so talented gosh so talented incredible shape of water i mean the his list of of award-winning films is endless it seems yeah um yeah i'd be really curious to see what you think about the black and white version and 35 millimeter versus the digital and color version that we saw so many many months ago and i remember yeah. both of us leaving the theater so i want to see yes. <laughs> i want to see yes. how different maybe you feel or maybe not maybe you'll feel the same way yeah we'll see we'll see but as you <clears> said in addition to ebert fest there's other movies out this week there are we've got let's talk about the bad guys Let's get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Check that one off our list. It is an animated uh, movie about the, this group of misfits who are misunderstood misfits who are perceived as being bad guys, and they are kind of bad guys. And when they try to reform themselves, then there's another bad guy that doesn't look like a bad guy. Everyone thinks he's a good guy and <sighs> frames him. This is a frenetic mess. Yes. 
You know, I worked at the local library for a while. Okay. And uh, I actually <clears throat> happened to stumble upon the book that this is based on. Oh. It's a kid's book. And it is just charming as anything. Because, of course, the, the, the whole theme of the bad guys is uh, preconceptions. Because uh, you got a wolf and a shark and a tarantula and a piranha. And, of course, you think of those things and you think, oh, my God. They're evil. dangerous, they're violent, they're yeah. evil. And so these these guys embrace this and say, well, if everyone's going to think we're evil, we might as well be evil. Right. Uh, but, and of course, the book and the whole story is that there are other layers, you know. Uh, and, and that kind of gets lost in this. It's a mess. This movie is such a mess. You, you know, all right, so slight interruption there. We had a lot of background music going on, and not that we don't like music, but we yeah. just couldn't compete with it. So, as we were saying, it was a very it was based on a book that you found to be charming. Yes, it was very charming, and like I say, I like the message of, you know, people, creatures, you know, they're not what they seem. Your first impression and, and preconception isn't always the right thing, right. and you know that message is is vital. And it's just, uh, it just gets lost. This director, the guy that directed this is a Frenchman, Pierre Pirefel. It shocks me that you took how many years of French? I, I uh, uh, two in high school <laughs> and I think a year and a half in college. Oh, not as much as I thought. That explains yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. I was always told that if you spoke like Pepe Le Pew, you would sound authentic. <laughs> no? No. 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 Okay. You were told yeah. wrong. Okay. But I mean, this director, he just takes, like you say, this manic approach, and my eyes glazed over after a while. Oh. I, I had a little bit of a headache. There was the, the music was too quick and intense, and then you had... It, okay, so the animation, and I'm not an artist. I will put that right out there, but the animation was, um, it wasn't stop motion, but it was almost like you could see the five drawings that they used for one fluid movement. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, it was kind of a blur effect or something. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. You're right about that. And that... That bothered me visually. Right, and the speed with which they're cutting... And like you said, it just, it was an overload that just snapped me out of the story. Yeah, it was, it was a bombardment, a visual auditory bombardment, and I, I didn't enjoy it. And I know kids need frenetic things to keep them entertained anymore. There's a whole neurological mm -hmm. uh, research stuff going on as far as what's happening with kids and their brains and um, watching things the way that we do on computers and it's actually affecting adults as well. Sure. So, you know what, our movies are changing to keep kids' yeah. attention and I and I get that, but man, you know, this is not a movie that's made for adults too. Yeah, you gotta find, you know, I understand what you're saying about perception changing, but you gotta find, they have to find a fine line. It's almost as if I got to the point, I got to the thought that the filmmaker was pandering to the kids, didn't trust the kids enough to challenge them right. with the theme of the film so we're just going to give them the same old thing that they're used to right right so. yeah so uh, not one that i'm going to recommend and parents if you take your kids make sure you get some earplugs and some little blinders and you can pretend you're in a, an airplane and sleeping i'm going to look this up real quick what? while you yap or talk yeah uh, uh, <laughs> but it was trending at about 92 percent oh on rotten Tomatoes, I posted ours up. Oh, it's dropped to 88%, but more than likely That's it'll end high. up with a positive rating. There. Okay. Well, I on the positive side, I was able to interview Craig Robinson, mm -hmm. who plays Shark in the movie. Mm -hmm. And what a delightful interview that was, which will be airing on WCIA TV, and we'll post that on our website and our Facebook page, Real Talk with Chuck and Pam, as soon as that is out.
And speaking of interviews mm-hmm. and movies that are also trending at 88% positive on <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. That's only that at I, 88%? It, it was trending at 100% for a long time, and they actually had mentioned that in their television ads. But yeah, some, some curmudgeons have uh, posted their reviews and has, oh have drafted the number. But uh, you met, you talked to Sharon Horrigan. I did. English actor we both love. Yes. Uh, she plays, you said, Nicholas Cage's ex-wife in the film. Yes, Olivia. And I'm really anxious to see this. You, you were able to see it, I wasn't. Um, yeah, I, this was the most fun I've had at a movie theater watching a movie, laughing so hard with the energy maintained throughout the entire film. I haven't seen anything like that since Knives Out. Mm-hmm. I just had so much fun. This is about Nicolas Cage, and um, Nicolas Cage plays Nicolas Cage, and he's got <laughs> meta fi- to the extreme. Meta right? to the extreme. He's uh, he's he's got some financial issues. A lot of financial issues. His marriage is in trouble. His teenage daughter can't stand him. Um, he really wants the next role of a lifetime, and he's not getting it. He decides he's just going to give up on, on doing any more acting ever again. And uh, then his his uh, publicist or agent, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, plays the agent. Which is perfect casting. <laughs> Isn't it? And yeah. he, he, he gets a, a well-paying gig as a guest at this millionaire's uh, birthday party in uh, Mallorca, Spain. And he doesn't want to do it, of course, but then he realized, well, it's a million dollars that'll pay for his $600,000 hotel bill. $600,000? Yeah. yeah. he's been living there. He's been there a while. Okay. And he's got a bill, an outstanding bill of $600,000. And he tries to get into his hotel room that night, and he can't get in. He's just, just beside himself. He's dejected beyond everything, and he decides to go ahead and take this gig to pay off his his debts. He's Mm -hmm. pissed. He's angry. He's sad. Um, well, this trip to meet Javi, paid by Pablo Pascal. Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Pascal of The Mandalorian. Okay, which I don't watch. He's in Game of Thrones, too, I guess. I he's all know. over the place. Okay, whatever. Um, great actor. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> and uh, he, he plays this millionaire, but he's also tied to this mob family. And there happens to be... Okay, so you guys, I, I'm not going to give you any more of the story. I was going to say, because, don't, don't ruin this. Yeah. I'm not, because there are so many layers to this movie that it becomes a drama, a comedy... A bromance. Mm-hmm. Um, it is hilarious, and there are so many levels to this. And Nick Cage leans into the fact that he gets made fun of. It's a self-deprecating role that he has fun with, and he. It's. I don't want to. I so, just don't want to so, give anything. So let me away. ask you a question. Mm-hmm. And I read. I've read some interviews, and he said this was the most terrifying role he was ever offered, <laughs> which yeah. I find it funny. But the more you, is it that the more you know about his films, the yes. more you are going to catch? Right, which is what I had put in my written review, is that you need to be a Nick Cage fan and a cinephile. I mean, you need to know your movies, because if you don't, you're going to miss a lot. You're going to not pick up on the humor, the nuances, all the references. Right. And, and I know there are some references in there that other people laughed at and I didn't, or I laughed out loud and nobody else did. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> um, right. So it, it, you really need to know your movies and you need to know your Nick Cage. So this sounds like when you could sit through more than once. 
Uh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. That's why I said, you know, if you're going to go see it tonight, I kind of want to go see it with you because when I was doing my interview with Sharon Horgan, I was laughing out loud as we were talking about a particular scene. <laughs> I mean, it's just there are so many layers to the story as he becomes a CIA operative and he screws something up and, and I won't even tell you what he does. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. I cannot wait for you to see it so we can talk a little bit more in depth about it. But well, this is okay. So this is a movie we're talking with Michael Barker um, today and talking about seeing movies on the big screen. Right. Um, I did something really kind of cool. I saw this on the big screen and I turned my phone off and I turned my watch off. You mean and, like in olden days? Yeah, like in olden days before <laughs> there were those things. And I was immersed in the film, which I think made me enjoy it that much more. Of course, yes, I, I can understand that. How many times do we shut off our phones? How many times do we really become disconnected with the outside world? For an hour and 45 minutes. I mean, yeah. not too often. And this one is worth it. I loved it, and I'll see it again and again and again. You know, and it's funny you mentioned that. You know, I, my fear is that the movie theaters are going to become just the venue of the big Marvel superhero right. films. Right. And one of the things Mr. Barker mentioned this morning was, you know, this movie, The Phantom of the Open, is a, is a small film. It's an intimate film. It's a character study. Right, right. And he mentioned... What a character. Yeah, <laughs> and he mentioned how important it is to see any sort of film, even the, especially these types of films, because you've got that communal response in the theater. Right. And you know that, I know that, people our age know that. My fear is that my son's generation, no. they don't know that, they don't appreciate that, and that's where this is going to end. Well, and, and part that's of that fear. is, is they can't afford it either. That's true. Movies have become expensive. You are correct. Unbelievable. And you go on a movie in a day, on a day, and what are you going to drop over a hundred bucks? Yeah. And that's a lot of money for that generation to blow. Yeah. You know? So I might as well just stay home and right. watch. Netflix. Right. I'll stream it, and and when it comes out, so there's there's that push and pull there. Yeah. You know, back in the day, movies weren't that expensive. You know, and where I live right now, I can still do five dollar Tuesdays. Five dollars. Right. right. There there are deals if you look for them. Right. So, yep. but. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, so good. So I'm glad the Nicholas Cage, again, I think that also sounds like a crowd film. Yes. We need to see it, it is. It definitely is. It is. So Nicholas Cage is back. Not that he ever he went away. He never went away. No, that's part of the movie. Uh, You'll okay. See. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> it's just that he made a lot of movies you didn't see. Yeah, or you did. Yeah. Oh, my God. I can't even tell you anymore. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, a movie I know that we disagreed on uh, is also opening. Uh, today, The Northman. Uh, directed... We didn't totally disagree on it, Chuck. Okay, okay, well, good. Uh, but I noticed on our website you, you said you did not recommend it, and yeah. I did. Okay. Uh, directed by Robert Eggers, a guy who I... A guy who I loved his first film, The Witch. Uh, the Lighthouse, I loved the first time. It didn't really hold up for me the second time. Mm -hmm. This one I liked, but I didn't love. Uh, okay. This is a retelling of uh, Hamlet, basically. Uh, but told through the prism of Norse mythology. It takes place in uh, the late 9th century. Uh, and visually, this film is a knockout, as right. his films all are. Uh, if you're into Shades of Grey, <laughs> this is your movie, <laughs> not man. That not, not that kind. Not that but I mean visual <laughs> Shades of Grey. Not 15. Because the, the, this thing, this, this, this whole thing takes place in this, obviously, medieval world it's perpetually overcast. It's perpetually dark. But there's a reason for that. I mean, it's a shitty time yeah. to live. Yeah. And this is, a, this is a tragic tale. I mean, yeah. uh, Alexander Skarsgård mm -hmm. uh, plays uh, 
Ameth. Ameth instead of Hamlet. Ameth. Uh, and I he, never understood the name, so I'm glad you brought that well, up. Well, I didn't. I, under, I had to. It. I had to look it up because okay. <laughs> I didn't quite get it either. Um, and he has come back for vengeance. Uh, another actor plays the character as a young boy. He witnesses his father, the king, played by an all too brief Ethan Hawke. That part was good. That was good, but I wanted more Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I did too. Uh, brutally slain by his brother, the uncle, of course. Uh, and, uh, Which is the, always the case. Right, uh, Fjordmer. So I'm yeah, sure I, I didn't that. catch yeah, that one either. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and the uncle doesn't go for the old poison in the ear thing. It's a much worse death for the poor king. Uh, but this death occurs, but not before uh, young Ameth and dad go on a vision quest with uh, the fool, played by Willem Dafoe, and we needed more of him, more of him. too. Yeah. Uh, Willem, or the He's fool. always in the Eggers film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an Egger. He's an Egger. Uh, but he, with some help of some hallucinogens, they go on this wild forgot about that part. vision quest thing in which he sees his future. He kind of knows what's going to happen. And after he sees his father's death, he flees the country because he knows he's next. He goes, he falls in with a bunch of uh, rapers and pillagers. He becomes Alexander Skarsgård, and that's what they do. They rape and they pillage, and that's what they do. Uh, But he encounters a woman played by Anya Taylor-Joy, who is also an Egger, and she plays Olga. And she and Olga hook up, and he pretends to be a slave so that he can go back, be sold to his uncle, and have this dish that is best served cold. Don't forget to mention Nicole Kidman. I was going to get to Nicole Kidman, who plays the mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has an interesting role as well. Not quite what I expected. This movie is bloody, obviously, to the extreme. I think in my print review I referred to to it as an art house version of Conan the Barbarian. It is gory. It is bloody. But I never found it gratuitous. I did. I know. But I think our levels are are, are different than that. I always felt as though... It was in keeping with the world that they were creating. That this is a violent, awful world. That life is cheap. How, how, how much do you have to shock the audience with all of that gore? I felt, I, I felt it was after the first 20. Minutes or 20 deaths? 20 deaths. 20 okay. beheadings. 20 eviscerations. Uh-huh. I didn't need any more. And it, then I just got pissed. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be you, done. You, this happens to you. It does happen to me. I, I've noticed that will take you out of the movie it does. more than anything. Yep, yep, you're absolutely right. And, and I appreciate the artistic aspect. I do all of the films, The Witch, The Lighthouse, and now this one. Eggers has an incredible eye. He has an incredible sense of atmosphere and setting mm-hmm. that up. I give him a lot of credit for that. And this story is extraordinary. Of course it is, because it's based it's on Shakespeare, yeah. you know? Um, but I just think if he could have maybe woven a little bit more of the, the Nordic lore, mm-hmm. and under, we maybe understood that a little bit more, a little more, more overt, right. perhaps, right. for us non-Nordic people, yeah. um, that made it, would have made it a little bit more engaging and really reeled back that, that gratuitous violence. Well, you know, I, I like the film, but I didn't love it. And my objection to it is, as well done as it is, and it is, there's no emotional connection. I had no emotional right. connection to any character. I, I should be sympathizing with Hamlet or yes. whoever he is. Um, I should yeah. be on his side and right. way, way to go. There was nothing there. They hinted a love story between him and Olga. It's all too brief. She's underused. 
but there's just no heart to the film. No, it's there a isn't. brilliant technical exercise, but I wasn't sucked in emotionally. I think they dissected the heart before they started. Wow, and then roasted it and <laughs> ate it, right? That's right, yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so a mixed bag on that. I mean, I would, I would say still see it. It's good, but it's not great. Yeah, okay. I'd say skip it. Yeah. Skip it, people. Um, what else do we have on the horizon here well we we've got a couple three. things on the horizon but yeah. i mean i think that's it for this week okay we both saw a great independent film called the duke yeah that we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks when it finally comes out one of those great uh fact-based stories something i had no idea about i didn't either uh, i loved it and under uh and under the radar theft we will say and right. we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that later uh dr strange but that's in a couple of weeks uh, other than that, I'm, I, I, I think I'm done. Okay. Have you seen any other series at all? I've been too busy. Okay. I've just been too busy. I did start Better Call Saul again. I love that. That okay. started. Uh, first two episodes aired on Monday, uh, and it just picks up. Let me tell you something. If you've watched the show, go back and find a recap of the last episode, because they usually rerun the last episode from the season before right. before they start the new season and they did not do that and this these two episodes premiered two years to the day that the last episode aired so it's been a two yes. year gap and yes. even though they do give us a little brief summation it's not enough yeah. I mean because mm -hmm. if you've watched this show at all there's a lot of moving parts Yeah, a lot of moving parts and uh, so I watched the first ten minutes I paused it Found a summary online. Oh, and did like, you? Like, oh okay. yeah, I remember that now. Oh yeah, okay, good. I'm way behind. I, I didn't finish season four, so I need to binge four so I can catch up on five because my husband has watched all of it, mm -hmm. and he's like... I know it's a lot, but it's worth it. Oh, I know it is. I, okay. I love this series. Oh, the other movie that's out, um, and it's on our website, is Marvelous in the Black Hole. That oh, okay. It's one of the Sundance movies. Um, it's a teenage type of movie. This girl has suffered some traumas in her life. Her mother has passed away. Her father is moving forward with his life, and she can't. And she happens upon a magician played by Rhea Perlman. And um, together they work through some issues that they have. It's a it's a charming movie. It's a delightful movie. Something that um, I think, especially if a child has lost a parent, this is a really wonderful way to open up the doors of conversation. Um, Maya, uh, I think her last name it's C E C H Check Keck. I'm not sure how you pronounce her last name. Um, I had an interview with a young girl. Oh my goodness, she was 12 years old playing this feisty, rebellious 15-year-old girl. Does an amazing mm -hmm. job. Um, had an interview with her, and that also will be on WCIA TV in the coming few days, I hope. So we'll post that as well. Next week, uh, there's a film that I've been looking forward to quite some time. It's premiering on HBO mm -hmm. uh, called The Survivor. A uh, true story about this boxer named Harry Haft, played by Ben Foster. Oh, he was I love in him. Uh, the concentration camps in World War II. Was forced to fight for survival, uh, and then embarked on a uh, professional boxing career afterwards. And oh, of wow. course, suffered enormous guilt. Uh, directed by Barry Levinson, it also has Peter Sarsgaard, uh, John Leguizamo, uh, Danny DeVito, and Vicky Krebs. Uh, we'll be watching that and reviewing that for next week. I know awesome. we've got a link for that one. Okay. Yeah, it was sent to us. Uh, 
because other than that, then there's the next Liam Neeson or whatever the hell no, that is. I'm right. done with right. Liam. So we will talk about the survivor next week. Awesome. And anything else that we can, I'm sure we'll find a couple other things as well. I'm sure. Thanks for tuning in. Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Or is it Real Talk with Pam and Chuck? No, we decided. I got perception. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody.